Hi everyone, Mike Vinoy, Vice President of Marketing at Assure. And today we're gonna to be talking about some new banking changes uh, as it relates to payroll companies. Um, uh, it, the, the world of money movement uh, in banking is really changing fast. Uh, uh, you know, forever uh, uh, a, a payroll company would uh, impound funds from the employer. Um, you set up uh, ACH files, that stands for Automated Clearinghouse. Uh, that those ACH files then go out to the banks uh, of uh, your employees, uh, and that's how they get their direct deposits, or checks get printed, and those checks get drawn off of uh, uh, the, the payroll company's uh, uh, bank account, right? <clears throat> um, I think all of us are used to, you know, I know my daughters, when they babysit, you know, they get paid in real time on Venmo. Uh, in, in the, so the world of peer-to-peer -peer payments, you know, we're starting to serve clients with a same day pay, get work today, get paid today uh, kind of concepts. <clears throat> so this world of money movement in payroll is certainly changing. One of the areas that's changing, uh, is, I'd say, is enhancements to the as is, meaning uh, the, the current ACH banking system, the way money moves uh, from bank account to bank account, uh, there's increased security around this. And so uh, to help me unpack this, uh, this topic today, I got two really, really uh, highly qualified guests uh, and happen to be really cool people. Uh, Josh Goman, Alyssa Arroyo, uh, uh, both uh, work for Assure. Uh, Josh heads information security. Uh, Alyssa, senior director of compliance. Uh, and they're, they're quite expert in this topic. Uh, really look forward to diving in deeper. Thanks for joining me, Josh and Alyssa. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so maybe let, let's let's back up just a, a bit here, maybe Josh, before you kind of jump in, because uh, some of this stuff is a little wonky, a little technical, and involves uh, data encryption and storage and whatnot. But just any color around the ACH system, and more specifically, I think you know, NACHA rules. What what is a what is a NACHA rule? Who's NACHA? Yeah, absolutely. So NACHA is the National uh, Automated Clearinghouse Association. You talked about auto, uh, Automated Clearinghouse or ACH payments. They're the kind of governing body that creates that standard that allows for interbank transfers through this ACH uh, system. And with that, they create all kinds of standards for how the payments should be formatted, um, how the banks will receive and transmit and the, the timeframes for those payments. Uh, and also in this case, security standards. How are we securing um, payments uh, or transaction information that is in transit? And then how are we uh, securing uh, payment information when it's stored like inside the payroll system or, or really anywhere that it's stored electronically? Okay, and then so start taking us through what the the new regs, the new, the new guidance coming from NACHA are, and, and who right. is So uh, I think the you know the the there's been a, a significant proliferation in the use of ACH payments beyond direct deposit and uh, you know bank to bank or uh, business to business transactions. You're starting to see it on on websites. Uh, you mentioned you know Venmo in the back end that's really using ACH, um, and so the the industry is seeing that account numbers or ACH account numbers are being used in fraud, uh, very similar to what we saw in the credit card industry 10, 15 years ago. And so what NACHA has done 
is adopted some of the data security rules from the payment card industry data security standard, PCI DSS. And um, those standards create some very specific rules how uh, organizations have to store, or have to protect uh, the account numbers when stored electronically. And it's uh, the standards uh, kind of vague when you read it. It says they have to be rendered unreadable. Um, and there's a couple of different uh, the options that companies have uh, to, to render um, those account numbers unreadable when they're stored electronically. Now, initially, this rule uh, only applies to large third-party senders and originators, so uh, organizations that uh, process 6 million transactions and then now 2 million transactions. Um, but what does that mean for smaller businesses or smaller processors? I think that, again, just like the NACHA organization pulled rules from the payment card industry, I think we can look at that as a a format for how NACHA is going to implement this rule uh, going forward. Um, you know, PCI did the same thing where they started with large uh, merchants, 6 million transactions, 2 million transactions. And then now today, anybody who stores, processes, or transmits credit card information has to store credit card account numbers um, in a way that renders them unreadable. Uh, and so I think that in the future, you're going to see this rule really apply to anybody that stores processes or transmits account numbers and that could be you know your small business you know the employees you get their account information into to, to set up a direct deposit information we have businesses that need to be able to send and debit uh, payment information from a b2b scenario so more than just uh big centers in the future i think this is this is something that that um really everyone needs to start thinking about yeah, it, it, Josh, I, I almost think, you know, the, wh why why did we choose this as a topic to, to bring to our audience today, which mostly consists of employers of small and mid-sized growing companies, right? Um, uh, one, there's the Stanley check that you just need to make sure whatever vendor you're working with, Assure or anybody else, they're mm -hmm. compliant um, yeah. so that, uh, that you're not breaking the law and you have good security. Uh, but you know, we try to bring the best information we can in this show uh, yeah. uh, uh, because we see the inevitability. And tell me if I think I'm overstating this. Uh, uh, I think we see the inevitability where the burden will eventually go to the employer, not, not just someone who has to, who processes greater than X million transactions a month, but anybody who stores bank information, just like yeah. uh, a, a small employer. Uh, on the sales revenue side of their business, they can't store people's credit card information, right? Uh, right. Uh, we think the same thing will happen here. No matter how big or small your company is, you're not going to be able to store, store your employees' banking information. Am, am yeah. I overstating that? No, I think that's exactly where the, the industry is going. I think they're seeing that these account numbers are just as vulnerable to fraud as, as any other payment information, and that we have a duty to protect uh, you know, sensitive information uh, for you know about the people that we we deal with, right? So in, in the employer scenario, you're you're very right. I mean, I think there's you know employers store bank account information more than many other small businesses, right, or many other uh, organizations, and so it's important that they think about how uh, they receive the information, how they store it, how they process it. You know, if they're partnering with a third party, many many are. You know, payroll as a payroll company. Um, you know, how they're processing it, how they're storing it. So, 
Can you speak more than just employee? Go ahead. Thanks, Mike. It's more than just employee direct deposit. You have to think about it from a garnishment perspective because you are sending those funds on behalf of an employee. So where you put those files, whether they're stored electronically or not, it ultimately ends up going through ACH, which means it's ultimately subject to these rulings. So it's really broadening what we think of when we think of money movement in general for our employees and on behalf of our businesses. And then let's just be really practical. So, you know, industry insiders like you guys, you use the words uh, 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 data must be unreadable uh, or, you know, we'll talk about tokenization in a little bit. Uh, just real life. What, what, is, what does unreadable mean to the, to, the, to the small business owner? Yeah, so that means, um, you know, you have a couple of different options there. Certainly you have you know, you could, if you're a small business owner, you could certainly redact the information. If you're uh, storing those files, you receive a, uh, an account direct deposit setup form and you process it. And then when, upon, you know, when you want to store it after it's been processed, you know, redacting that information, uh, you know, like it could be as simple as, you know, drawing over it with a black marker before you scan in, scan it into the system or, um, or something like that. Uh, certainly deletion is an option. I know that kind of sounds counterintuitive, but um, it actually is a method that um, you can use uh, because you shouldn't store data that you don't need. We often sometimes collect data um, going back 10 to 15 years. Uh, stale data should be deleted, um, so you don't need it. But then more technical ways of rendering data unreadable would be encryption. Uh, so encrypting the files when they're at rest. So using a storage solution that would encrypt the files. Um, and then also uh, you kind of mentioned tokenization, which is a big kind of buzzword in uh, the payments industry. And so tokenization is like a special type of encryption um, in that it preserves the format of the original number. So it, if you start with a 10 digit number, when you uh, tokenize it, you get a 10 digit, uh, not a number, but you get a 10 digit value back. Uh, and it can preserve the last four so that it's still usable, right? So you think about when you you review a report or you're looking at, you know, the UI in, a, in an application, uh, it's, it's, it's often that we just see the last four digits, whether it's our credit cards or our bank account information. That's a common yep. uh, display criteria. Well, tokenization allows the application to display the token like that and, um, and it not, be the, not actually be the account number. It's a token. And tokenization is completely reversible so that you can basically reconstitute the account number from the token without having to store the account number. So it's a really useful method for protecting uh, sensitive data. So if I can kind of recap, so the, the requirement from NACHA, mm -hmm. uh, and today it's, uh, it has been the requirement for uh, uh, people who process more than 6 million transactions going to 2 million transactions, our belief is this is going down to, 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 to the employer level that you, no matter how many transactions you uh, have, the law is going to require you to not store uh, bank information in the same way you can't store credit card information. I have that correct, first of all, right? Yes, that is correct. And then what, what can employers or what should employers do about it? Um, I think there's a front end and a back end of this problem. The back end with their payroll processor, they must ensure they are working with a provider 
Um, and, and, and presumably all the big ones, you know, Assure, ADP, Paychex, the big, the big folks uh, are going to be compliant in this area. We, we certainly will be, and we'll talk about mm -hmm. how. Um, but it's also, I think, safe to assume that some of this stuff is complex, and some of the smaller people's providers uh, are, are going to struggle technologically keeping up uh, in this area. Um, so at minimum, you got to validate that your, your, your payroll provider can handle this and will be compliant. Um, I think the, how employers should be thinking about this as on the front end, um, you have a new hire form. Uh, if, if you're kind of living a little old school and it's, you got a form, you print it and you give it to the employee and they, and they manually fill out this form. And part of that includes their, uh, bank account number and routing number that you're going to route their direct deposit to. Um, you're either going to have to black marker it or and, and ensure you can't read through the black marker or you're going to have to destroy it and probably prove that you destroyed it. Uh, uh, that would be the low tech ways of doing it. The higher tech ways would be if it's uh, uh, electronic, maybe it's still a paper form that you scan. You could have this stored in an encrypted way that could later be retrieved um, or uh, this more sophisticated, technologically elegant uh, approach of tokenization that most of us experience. You go to a website, I'm ordering, you know, I go to American Airlines to, to book a flight and it's asked me what credit card I want to use. And it, you know, it's a little, bunch of little stars represent the numbers and then the last four digits of the card that I recognize the number of, right? Uh, mm -hmm. it, am I summarizing that properly, uh, uh, Alyssa? You absolutely are. Although instead of going to American Airlines, I might be thinking about Amazon and my shopping habits. But those are the same type of items that you would be thinking of as it relates to tokenization. So it's really about also making sure that you're thinking about your internal processes leading up to that because nobody wants to transition cold turkey. So if we start sending people to their phones to do onboarding or if we start, you know, really changing how we collect that information, we're less subject and have a less of a learning curve as it starts to really move down the line. Yeah, and I think maybe just how I would guide uh, employers. Um, it seems obvious why the 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 industry would move the I'd say the financial industry, not the payroll industry. Financial industry would move to protecting bank account information the same way you do credit card information. Uh, but as you think about your employer brand, you know, um, how damaging would it be to your employer brand if you were uh, known in, in, in your in your town as being the one whose employee information got hacked uh, and their bank accounts got hacked, right? Um, because if I think, you know, if you've been using a credit card for more than a decade or two, uh, I think we've all gotten those uh, early fraud warning kind of calls, right? Where uh, fraud attempts, somebody maybe got our credit card, uh, and you can stop it. And usually the credit cards companies help you out and you don't, it doesn't cost you anything. If somebody gets your bank account number, your checking account, your savings account, um, your, uh, I mean, it, the impact could be devastating, right? I mean, they, they could sweep your account like this and uh, you take an employee who uh, might be really struggling coming out of a pandemic, living paycheck to paycheck uh, in, in, in trying to, try to fill, fill the gas pump. Uh, get the gas tank with today's prices. I mean, these people are under stress. Uh, uh, it, it, and I, I'd say the risk is actually, even though the legislation isn't there yet, like it is with the credit card companies, I almost think the risk is much higher for an employer because 
the impact to your employee could could really be quite devastating. Am I being overly dramatic on this, Alyssa or or Josh? No, I think it's the logical progression. We're all getting used to the clean desk rule, right? When you leave, you put things in your filing cabinet. We don't leave things exposed. This is the logical extension of that into the electronic world. How many times have we gotten those calls about our warranties being expired? Or, you know, there's this great new policy that I need to look at. It's just getting further and further into our everyday lives. And we have to be in a defensive position for that for ourselves yeah. and for our employees. Okay, so we'll have future conversations on this topic and the trend around uh, data privacy, data security. Uh, today, NACHA is the governing body, it's an association, but they mm-hmm. do set the standards for money movement in the banking industry through, the, through banks and the Fed. Um, and so you get this clearinghouse, the ACH automated clearinghouse, um, so I, I think more for another day, but if we come back to just the NACHA rules, are there any other specificities around the rules of what it does cover before we kind of move to what it doesn't cover? Um, yeah, what I would say on that is that it's everywhere account numbers are stored electronically. This is not a, you know, payroll database or something that's only there. It is, if you store those files on a, you know, a shared drive or in in, uh, in the cloud in a Dropbox or SharePoint or something like that, anywhere they're stored electronically, this rule applies to. So it's it's not just like within the payroll system or within the banking system. It is anywhere you store account numbers electronically. Yeah. So NACHA, it's uh, it's not PNACHA, Payroll National Association of uh, Clearinghouse Association, right? It's Anywhere ACH is the platform uh, for, for money movement. That's a, that's a really good call out, Josh. Anything else I'm missing? Yeah, that's good. Okay, so uh, I, I don't know who wants to start this one. Uh, Alyssa, I know you have some insight here. What doesn't the new NACHA rules cover? So it doesn't cover the transactions or the detail while it's being used right so we know that we've got to send files to the bank to ultimately allow them to be processed we need the live account numbers there so while the data is in use it's able to be readable right but at the point that it's moving while it's in flux where it could essentially be captured mid-flight it's got to be protected and it also needs to be protected when it's at rest or when it's just sitting in that file folder and moving through. So it's about the three real steps of that account number and that transaction. So when you first get it, it's at rest. You're moving it to the bank or the tax payment agency or any vendor that's your in use or in transit while it's doing that movement, then while they're actually processing, that's when you're in use. And it's only that in use piece where it can be readable because I can't necessarily deposit something into a tokenized account. Those last four digits are important, but so are the other six. So this is where if you're an employer and you're just thinking about storing uh, banking information as part of say your onboarding documents, um, 
you could be as low tech as black marker uh, 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 throwing away those forms, right? But if you're the payroll provider, you have to, I mean, you, you got to pay the employees. So uh, you have to have the information not readable while you, well, you say at rest, uh, but yet it has to be a real bank account number that can be used to create the ACH file that actually facilitates the, the, the payroll payment. Am I, am I summarizing that correctly? Mm -hmm. Absolutely are. Yeah. Okay. What, what else? Are there, is, before we go deeper on that topic, is there anything else that the NACHA rules don't cover? Um, it doesn't cover routing numbers. It's only the account number. So routing numbers are clear to or find a store in plain text uh, electronically. So this rule really focuses on just the account number and not the routing number. And I think I know why that would be. Can you just add some color on that, Josh? Why, why would that be the case? Well, it's because the routing number is not sensitive. The routing number is essentially universal for that bank, you know, right. Chase, Bank of America, right? They, have, they, they, have, they all have more than one per bank, but it's every account in that bank uses uh, essentially the same routing number. So it's, it's not as critical if it were to be compromised, uh, right. whereas the account number is specific to you or to the business. And it can't, um, you know, if it's compromised, then it has to be changed. Uh, there's no, there's no way around that. So if someone gets a routing number, which are generally uh, fairly easy to get, because you can get those on banks' websites and things. Right. Um, so they, we don't have to protect those to the same level uh, that we do account numbers. So just to be clear, so a lot of business owners know that. Um, I, I think uh, plenty of business owners, they're experts in their industry. Uh, mm -hmm. but not banking and may not have realized that, but quite literally uh, a routing number is like a digital address to the bank. And so the same way you can look up a physical address, you can go to Google Maps and find out physical address of your bank. You can publicly find the routing number to that bank. Most banks will probably have a few different routing numbers that routes money to different uh, different accounts within the bank, mm -hmm. but it is the uh, it is the personal or business account number that we're really talking about here, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, okay. Anything else that the rule doesn't cover that you want to unpack? No, no I think we I think we covered the, the big three, which is, uh, you know, in rest, or, or in transit, in, at rest, and in use, and, and this rule really covers the at rest piece. And, and to be clear, because I I don't want to use uh, overly harsh scare tactics here for with with folks, it doesn't cover the the employer yet. This is today. This yeah. is uh, people processing the the what I think is July of 22, right? That uh, anybody mm -hmm. more than six million transactions. So almost no small mid-sized company is processing right. more than a couple million transactions a, a, a month. So this is really to the payroll providers for now, but clearly it's foreshadowing of what is to come for the employer and their personal storage record. Am I saying that right? Yes, that's right. I'm not, I'm not commingling. Okay, okay. Um, all right. So let's let's talk about uh, uh, you know maybe some impact. You know what 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 are I, I think there's some unforeseen. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. There's some goodness that can happen here beyond just being compliant and following a rule. Uh, positive impact to a business, positive impact for employees. Can you, can you tell us what this means? 
Yeah, I mean, certainly, um, and as we mentioned previously, these account numbers, because they're beginning to be able to be used in, you know, on websites to make payments, you can you can buy things off Amazon, as Alyssa mentioned, you know, with an account number. Uh, you can pay for utility bills. You can do all these things on these websites with account numbers. Now, fraudsters are seeing that as a method that they could monetize. In the past, it had to be a credit card because you couldn't put a bank account information into a website to buy something. So now that you're seeing that being able to be used, uh, or account numbers, ACH account numbers being able to be used in that fashion, you're starting to see fraudsters aggressively target account numbers so that they can, again, fraudulently buy stuff on the internet or whatever and, um, and use that. So this is part of this compliance is, uh, you know, some organizations have to do it. Other organizations should do it uh, because it's a best practice and it really does protect uh, the information that you know their employees or or of consumers. Well, and Mike, you mentioned it earlier. This is really the baby step to getting into more real-time transactions. We know about the Venmos and the things like that, but ultimately, this is going to get us closer to real-time fraud detection. It will be great when we can put in an account number and ultimately know does it belong to the person that is registering. You know, are we seeing influx of items coming from other countries to usurp funds and things of that nature. This is setting in the framework for being able to get that real-time feedback as well. Yeah, I mean, just think about the acronym itself, Automated Clearinghouse. It's a clearinghouse uh, which for decades has been about allowing this time that's required to make sure that you've, you've cleared the transaction, that the funds actually exist, that the account is real. Right. Uh, and so uh, that 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 takes time, which is why generally you think about ACH and it can be faster, it can be slower, depending on the banks. But you think about that as kind of like a 48 hour process. But clearly the future is real time money movement. Right. Uh, it's not going to be through the traditional ACH process, whether that's peer to peer uh, like Venmo, where you have money that is captive within that peer net peer to peer network system, but maybe there's a transaction to get money in or out of that system. Uh, uh, that kind of functionality clearly is coming very very soon from uh, traditional banks. It'll be the big banks at first, uh, but this will this will eventually replace the ACH process. Well, I, I think I think also, Mike, we're seeing that the ACH process is trying to keep up with with that process as well. I mean, we have same day ACH already, and I think they're, they're trying to maintain, um, you know, relevance. They're trying to maintain and update their standards to work at the speed of business, you know, as, as, as everybody's moving to real time, um, you know, transactions, the, the NACHA organization is trying to keep up to. And I think, again, that's another thing that's accelerating this need for security because um, the faster money moves, um, the faster a fraudster can get away with it. Uh, because when the money moves through the ACH system and once the transaction is complete, you cannot recall it. It doesn't come back. It's not like a credit card transaction where, uh, you know, they credit the money back and the money is gone. And so yeah. it, that's really where it needs the security up front. That, that's, that's really well said, Josh, because, I mean, we're not taking shots at the ACH system, right? I mean, it it serves a very important purpose, which is security. I mean, uh, and you're, you're going to see this convergence in all of our worlds. You're going to see it in money movement as you move more and more to real time. When the money's gone, the money's gone. And so you better be sure you got it right. Uh, 
Uh, same thing for buying a house. Yeah, think I'll think how long it takes to buy a house and how long it takes to to go through a title company to make sure you get clear title. Oh, there's a, there's a future world where all that's going to happen instantaneous too, but uh, the, you got to make sure you're transferring real ownership properly. There's a lot of stuff to figure out and, and do right. So uh, uh, probably wiser to think about the acceleration of speed of the ACH process that is going to come closer and closer to real time uh, rather than worrying about the technical methods behind the scenes. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Very. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else, guidance that you'd want to give our audience today on why you think these new ACH payment requirements are so important? Well, I mean, I think from a from an industry perspective, you know, having a standard set of requirements is really important. Um, you know, as we kind of mentioned, these these requirements are coming or derived from the payment card industry. Uh, they have a very robust um, set of rules that the standards are well thought out, well built, well vetted. They're you know been implemented in a tried and true fashion. So, relying on well defined standards like that really allows um, you know organizations at all levels to to implement these rules uh, very quickly or or very clearly I should say maybe that you know because there are many businesses that have already implemented this for credit cards and it's now just we just a different type of data we, we need to, to secure it so that kind of clear guidance that we've already vetted out the problems essentially is what I'm trying to say and so now it allows businesses and organizations to to implement it very effectively. Yeah, let, so let, let's use that as a transition to, to kind of our close here. Uh, what, let's give as much practical guidance. So some of this is a little bit of theory. Uh, the nacho rules are real, they are changing. Um, the legislation that will directly impact uh, employers and their personal storage, maybe not quite there yet. Uh, so it's a little more theoretical. Um, but what really good practical advice can we give to our audience so that, that you know they, they can implement in their businesses right away? The first thing that I would say there is be really cognizant of the data that you're collecting and then what you're doing with it from the point of that collection to when you use it. So if you're doing the old school paper forms, what do you do with those forms after you've moved it through your payroll system whether that's something that you're doing in-house or a system that you're using like Ashore or any of the other players. But ultimately think about that progression. Also think about how you're dealing with the data once it's in your systems, right? For now, you may be able to go in very quickly and confirm an employee account. In the future, you won't be able to do that because you may only see the last four digits of those account numbers. So think about setting those best practices for yourself about answering those employee inquiries. Hey, I can't remember what my savings account is. You guys do all that transaction. Can you give it to me real quick? Maybe not so much. So it's right. really about thinking about what you do with it day to day. And some of this, we've really gone nose blind to. It's just there and we've interacted with it the same way for years. And now we need to think about it along those steps. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, Alyssa, your point was very uh, 
I think it was very good about thinking about all the ways that you collect that data because you know oftentimes it's email. We use email all the time as a as a source, but think about if uh, well email is a storage system because those, those files reside there. Um, if you CC, you know if the employee is CCing multiple people, then you have multiple copies of that that file that are all stored in that system. And so kind of getting a handle on your processes so that you can identify where those entry points are and then where the the exit points are like where you're putting it into the payroll system and then you're storing the file somewhere or you're deleting the file uh, and i think too is taking a hard look at what you really need to store as far as um you know documentation outside the payroll system um you know for records right it, it is the is the information stored in the payroll system do i need a second copy of it uh, because any data you store is a risk, uh, not just from a compliance perspective, but just broader than that from a security breach perspective. Uh, so kind of uh, thinking about pruning that data down, keeping it manageable, uh, and then deleting it when it's no longer needed is very important. And one final note on that, it's about where it's being stored within the organization. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily want the individual HR person having it on their laptop versus a centralized area where you can add higher levels of encryptions or things of that nature. So it's really about thinking about the organization in total as opposed to an individual job function and what they're doing with that data. Yeah, absolutely, that's correct. Guys, this is great. Is there anything else, any other practical guidance you'd give to employers? No, I mean, other than understanding what uh, the, your payroll provider that you're partnering with, what their procedures are, what their, um, how they handle your data, uh, how it's being stored in their system, how they're uh, processing it and transmitting it um, when you send it to them, if, if you're sending it to them to update uh, into the payroll system. So kind of thinking of that as a partnership and understanding that, you know, they have a piece of your security, just like you have a piece of your security. Yeah, and maybe maybe the final, and I'm not, I don't want to get pitchy here about a sure product, but to me, part of the solution here is is fundamentally changing the end-to-end -end process instead of like uh, you know, if you have a have an old school paper-based system uh, that maybe you had bank account information and uh, name, rank, serial number, demographic information, uh, benefits information on one piece of paper, maybe you split that into two pieces of paper and then one of the banking information you destroy after entered into the system. There's mm -hmm. there's different, different, different ways you could handle modifying the existing approach. At the end of the day, it's your employee uh, who's giving you and providing you this banking information. Uh, and the simplest thing you could do would be to put it in their hands. Um, right. Absolutely. Let the employee from their own personal device, let mm -hmm. them enter uh, the banking information into the payroll system through a self-service application uh, uh, natively. Uh, at minimum, you're gonna eliminate the keystrokes and potential errors that exist when an employee fills out a form, whether that's a good automated, pretty electronic process or a very paper-based process. If you have human beings copy-pasting or keying information to the payroll system, it's just kind of a silly waste of time uh, that's not needed in, in a modern era. So you can empower your employees to, to own their own data. It instantly has the value of all the encryption and all the tokenization of any good modern payroll system like ours. 
um, uh, while at the same time saving all the time uh, 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 in, in kind of a, just completely eliminating the need for how do I redact, how do I store, how do I encrypt all this data uh, uh, myself as a, as a payroll HR function. Am I, am I saying that right? Is there any other guidance you'd give there? I think you're spot on, Mike, and I think really the bottom line there is be cognizant of what you're doing and only save what you need. If you don't need it past the point of initiation, don't retain it. Right, right. And if you're going to retain data, do it in a system that is automatically compliant with all of the laws natively, like uh, like Assure's Barrel HR system and the, in the self-service capabilities come with it. Um, you got enough to worry about growing your company if you're a smaller mid-sized business uh, without having to worry about uh, tokenization and in, 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 uh, uh, encryption of data to store HR personnel files. It's uh, uh, there, there, there's a better way. So anything else that you guys want to offer in closing, uh, Josh and Alyssa, this, this has been great. I uh, just, my, my, my last point would just be that, you know, as custodians of personal information at every level, I think we have to look at these compliance requirements as kind of the bare minimum. Uh, you know, voluntary adoption is a best practice. You know, look to the standards, even if it doesn't apply to you today, look to the standards to say, that's what the best practice is, or that's the really the minimum best practice, and I should try to adhere to that so that I'm protecting, um, you know, all the personal information or all the sensitive data that, that I'm retaining on behalf of other people. Yeah. Anything for you, Alyssa? I think that Josh really covered it, but think about it as well from a cyber insurance perspective. Starting yeah. these minimum requirements and getting it there will actually reduce costs overall. So while you are protecting your brand, your employees, you're also lowering your operating costs as well. Yes, yeah. very good point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very good. Okay, guys, very much enjoyed the conversation. Um, the I think in summary, the, the NACHA requirements directly impact us as a payroll provider. They're gonna impact all the payroll providers. Um, but th this is a this is a wave that's coming, and you as an employer, you're going to need to think about data security, uh, very specifically treating banking account information the same ways you legally have to treat credit card information. Uh, uh, and if you're if you're not thinking about a solution, uh, it's already embedded into the way we do business. So if we can help with a payroll uh, a payroll HR tax uh, solution, we'd love to talk about it. If you need time to attend. Uh, systems to stay compliant with FLSA, uh, overtime calculations, uh, or you just need help with uh, the HR department on a fractional basis, our HR services uh, uh, team would be happy to help. Uh, until next week, Josh and Alyssa, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Always good talking to you, and until next week, thanks everyone. Yes, that's it.